Welcome to The 12th Story, a book discussion podcast produced by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library, where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss books and literature. The Mercantile Library is the literary center of Cincinnati located at 414 Walnut Street. Throughout the year, the Mercantile Library hosts events with authors and speakers. Joining us today on The 12th Story are John Faraday, the new executive director of the Mercantile Library. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Michael Link, publisher, relations, and events manager for Joseph Beth Booksellers. I'm happy to be here. Mercantile Library board member Brennan Cull. Hello. And myself, Cedric Rose, the Mercantile's book guy. Today we'll discuss Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. It's 2045 and the world has become a dystopian horror story. Wade Watts, our narrator, spends most of his time in a virtual world, the Oasis. The 18-year-old orphan at 11 has no friends in his trailer park in Oklahoma City. The, o the Oasis is his surrogate reality, and he is obsessed with winning a game created by the Oasis's creator, legendary billionaire James Halliday, an elaborate online game, a hunt for a hidden Easter egg. The finder will inherit his estate and determine the future. Riddles and video games lead to three keys and three gates. So just a spoiler alert, we will be discussing the entire book today, and I'd like to begin with Michael Link, who has been pushing this book for ages, uh, who read it pre-publication and has watched it sell like hotcakes. Michael, could you tell us a little bit about the book? Sure. Um, the Basically, to start off, uh, Ernest Klein is actually from Ohio. He grew up in Ashland, Ohio, and he largely, his life largely parallels that of Wade. And you can say that on some level, uh, the character of Wade is semi-autobiographical with uh, minus the fantastic events of Wade's existence. But the book itself um, came out and it was the result of a 10-year writing process. <laughs> Ernie Klein Good God. wrote, it's just true, <laughs> Ernie Klein wrote the movie, if you're familiar, it was kind of an indie flick uh, called Fanboys which was sort of uh, a, a homage to his love of Star Wars. He was born in, I think, 72. So Star Wars is encoded in his DNA. Right. And throughout that process, with various studios changing the story and bringing stuff in, he saw what happens when you lose control of your own story. So he decided that what he was going to do from then on, instead of being a screenwriter, was he was going to be a novelist and write uh, books that could then be adapted into movies. But what he started doing was he basically wrote a book that he said could never be turned into a film. <laughs> <laughs> he was wrong. Which was this book? <laughs> Which was this book. He <laughs> felt with all of the rights issues in it, and this took him 10 years to write, with all of the rights issues, it would never ever be adapted into a film. And when you're talking about the rights issues for our listeners who may be choosing to listen to this who haven't read the book. Mm -hmm. um, basically, so this book, as Cedric mentioned, the character and actually most people in this world spend the majority of their time in the Oasis. They go to school there, they shop there, they work there. It's a virtual reality that has become almost um, all-encompassing for the bulk of humanity. Uh, and so what happens is you can do whatever you want there, essentially. There are rules governing various 
planets or areas of the oasis, but there's a Star Trek universe, there's a Star Wars universe, there's schools, there's a whole sector that's just high-end shopping. It's, if you took probably the best uh, description of it, if you are inclined for any sort of contemporary virtual reality, I've, I've heard tell, and I haven't used either of these, so don't blame me for it, but that is basically all the elements of social media, World of Warcraft, video gaming, everything Amazon. combined together. Amazon, <laughs> exactly. And uh, it, and it really Netflix, you name it. And it really takes a lot from um, sort of the, the cyberpunk idea of virtual reality that uh, William Gibson came up with in his short story, Burning Chrome. That's true. So it's, it's a holographic universe, essentially. Yeah, uh, you can tell that this... That Straight to the literary <laughs> references. <laughs> wow. You, you can wow, the bar's been raised, Cedric. John and my jaws just dropped open, like, really? Yes, yes. It was just and like and that. When he finally mentioned Neuromancer, I was really... I mean, sorry, sure. sorry, go so on. So obviously this book came out of the fact that it's a love letter to everything that Ernie loved growing up. In so the 80s. It's very, it's, you're right. Very it 80s. It is very it heavy. It's like 10,000% 1980s. There's 10,000 well, there's, there's 10, references to 80s movies, music. And you're not exaggerating when you say 10,000. No. Video games. It's every it single page, there's something in here. Yeah. Um, it is actually like, staring into the face right. of a blunderbust loaded with 80s culture right. that is then shot at you. Which makes um, it so fun to read, especially if you at all were present during And I will 80s. say this to the listeners, too. As a bookseller, when I first read it, I thought that this would only appeal to people who had been cognizant of culture in the 80s. Right. But I have been surprised many, many times that it continues to appeal to kids who are coming up now. And is that, do you think it's because of like the virtual reality aspect of it? I mean, they, uh, when, you know, I grew up, I was born in 77. And so I grew up in the eighties and qu quite a bit of this, quite a bit of the references I got, I didn't get all of them because I didn't spend as much time in the basement playing Dungeons and Dragons as others did. But I, I, there were some things that I feel like a kid today who spends even more time online and who knows that you can easily connect with other people online, which which we really didn't know that much until I mean I connected with people through like Prodigy and CompuServe, but that was wow, that's much way later. nerdier than playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> right, man, just to be Come clear, on. just right. to be clear, but no, I think that what appeals to people about it is more of the sense of isolation. And so Ernie wrote this book before publication. It set off a bidding war with publishing houses. And he was shocked for his first novel. The next day, it set off a bidding war for right. the movie release. Okay, yeah. And so for people who don't know, um, it's Ready Player One, the film, is slated for release in 2017. And it's being directed by Steven Spielberg. Was Steven Spielberg like, what do you mean you can't make a movie out of this? I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. make a movie out of this. What do you mean you can't get the rights? You can't right. get, yeah. get the rights to, to Rush I want music? Let me tell you who Rush is affordable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he and Ernest Klein wrote the first two versions of the screenplay. Zach Penn wrote the 
is the current screenwriter for for the uh, uninitiated film. Zach Penn is. Uh, he was. He's an actor. He's a writer. He uh, had a position in the Obama's President oh, Obama's. Cal, first. Oh, Cal Penn. No, Zach Penn. Sorry. No, not Cal Penn. Zach Penn, who is a screenwriter. Okay, but Cal. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I was All right, let's leave the pens. Yeah, let's leave the pens. <laughs> because now I'm lost. I like but, this book. Did you like this book, Michael? I, l- I love this book. I I felt like this book, regardless of the near constant um, '80s references, and to be completely uh, candid, you, you don't like the '80s, but you like I, this book. I do. I do. How, can you not, how do you not like? The, how do you not appreciate the '80s? I do. What I think. What I what I appreciated about this book. What I loved about this book is this book is a very thinly veiled love letter to the cultural influences that this author had coming of age. And so for anybody to come up through it and to uh, you have these people that meant something to you, and so he put together a, a compelling narrative that incorporated all the things he loved. See, I read it completely differently. Okay. I read it as like a terrifying look at today moving forward, especially as like relationships. Oh. I kept, re- you know, it kept taking me, it re- I was so deep into it when I realized, wait a minute, he doesn't even, he's never met H. Like his sure. best friend. His, his best, best friend, friend sure. which turns into a bit of a surprise at the end. And like, and I kept losing the, dis- I, I kept having to check myself and say, wait a minute, is this virtual or, or, or is this right. real? Which yeah, seemed to be like what... You forget you forget right. the real. You forget that the real even exists in this right. world. I mean, he goes back and forth at the beginning, but then by the end, it's almost all existing in well, the... Well, and the real is awful. It does have a... Vi- you're correct. It does... I, or I agree with you. Uh, it does have an incredibly dark so setting he, in the sense that, like... Everybody, the only joy that this character has is him interacting with other people he's never met with completely fictitious names while he is in the back of a van. No, he's living in an RV, in an RV that is stacked on top of other RVs. Right in the in the middle of what Oklahoma City, right? You said At first, yeah. And so that what he describes is this universe where there's like towers of RVs stacked on one another. One one tower, which by the way later gets bombed and a whole bunch of people are are, are killed, which was I thought this dealt with way too quickly. I mean, it was yeah, tragic the, the events. Like deaths his in aunt reality. died and it was like or was it his aunt? Or it was his aunt, aunt and the nice well, lady downstairs. She dies. It, right. it was like da- Mrs. G. But right. he, he yeah. moved on. The, uh, I, I, didn't, that, I didn't like that about the book and then he moved on way too quickly. But the, the world that they live in, obviously very dystopian. It's, it's awful. Columbus, Ohio of all places is like the headquarters of... It's awesome. It's like Silicon Valley apparently mm-hmm. in the right. book. I mean, which is unbelievable since I grew up in Columbus, Ohio and Imagining Columbus, Ohio, Silicon Valley is. Right. is then he goes shopping on High Street. I'm like, wait a minute, yeah. he's on High Street. High Street exists <laughs> in 2045. <laughs> well, so let me back up really quickly, just in the sense, and give sort of a brief overview of what happens in the book. So this may be the point at which, if you want to be completely spoiler-free, you might want to save this on your computer and come back to it later. But basically, James Holiday who is a combination of Steve Jobs and Howard Hughes. And, by the way, if if the guy from the movie Contact, 
who builds Matthew McConaughey? No, not Matthew McConaughey. Oh, but the guy, the bald guy in the movie Contact, who builds this, who pays to build the machine that takes him into the world. If he doesn't play James Holiday, it's gonna, a travesty. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> come on, this be, this nobody's a, a movie Contact fan. I, we should. Uh, we need to read. I haven't seen it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Read the book. Um, so, so anyway, so he dies and he leaves an Easter egg or, and an Easter egg for the uninitiated is something hidden in a game or a movie. And it's sort of a wink, wink, nod, nod to something else. Hacker culture. There's a lot of hacker culture in this book too. Big, big amount of it. And so he basically hides something in there, which will give whoever finds it control of the Oasis, billions of dollars, et cetera. And the big right. fight is between Gunters, which is short for Egg Hunters, and it's become Gunters, versus uh, this big multinational, fairly faceless company that uh, recruits people to find the egg so they can charge for the Oasis, which is Kind free. of resembles Facebook. Fa- yeah, it right. resembles most big multinational corporations. IOI. Exactly. Well, IOI. Mo- yeah, big, yeah, exactly. And so... Wade and all of his friends are these gunters, and they're <laughs> trying to win the prize that Holiday hid for to keep the Oasis free. Was, was there any writing this before the whole net neutrality thing was becoming an issue? Yes, I felt like there was a almost a subtext of, you know, basically this this multinational this corporations trying to monetize the Oasis and take away control of it from the people. Yeah, and I, I think that that's just more grounded in sort of the, the same kind of populism that you see in a lot of hacker culture, and especially in the movies of, like, you know, the, the 80s. Like, war games is huge in this. It's like Reddit versus... I mean, like, it's like the people who are, you know, gunters would be, like, Redditors, and, mm-hmm. and not Redditors mm-hmm. in the case where they're, like, racist and hateful Redditors, but like the Redditors who really truly enjoy uh, like, you know, the free internet and sharing stories and not the kind of overly corporate Facebooks and Googles that are out there. Right. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought up, I, I had no idea the genesis of this book. And now that I know that, I, I feel that there is this tension between creativity and control that's happening in this, the universe of this book. But, uh, and I could never get away from that, the whole hacker culture thing. I mean, Captain Crunch comes up. Um, does anybody else have any favorite references in this book that just kind of blew your mind? I mean, I'm myself, at the end, I was so relieved uh, when Monty Python crops up at the end. Thank Monty God. Python is, because th- is terrific. It's th- and, and three is a magic number. I, I was, like, sitting at my desk, and I went and called it up so I could hear it. I, I am old enough that I'm 50, so the 80s are relevant to me in that I remember them in their entirety. I was 15 when they started. Uh, but th- three is a magic number. It was like so great that it played such an important. Family Ties. It's actually a great song. Family Ties family got Ties, a reference, yeah. which I was really happy about because if you're from Columbus, Ohio, you know that Family Ties was set in Columbus, Ohio. And obviously I this. I did not well, know that see. either. And so family. So in th- the book obviously had, uh, you know, quite a bit of Ohio references in, in it. The Columbus reference. The hometown of James Holiday was Middletown, Ohio, which which is actually not based on 
the actual Middletown, Ohio, but on the fact that it's well, two things. Middle. One is almost every state has a Middletown in it, right? And two, Rush huh. has a big song about Middletown. So uh. that's where it came from. So people who are listening to this in Middletown shouldn't get flattered that he like had a heart. No, I mean they certainly should. He had uh, enough of one. Yeah, and he went to actually good enough for Middletown. Would when, be my when guess. When this book came out, um, Ernie. So when he landed these two contracts, one for the book and one for the movie, he did with the money, which is alarming to me. But what he did immediately with it is he went out and fulfilled his childhood dream of buying a DeLorean. So. Obviously, the greatest one of the greatest references in the book is anything related to Back to the Future. Terrific. And drove the and DeLorean dr- on right. book he tour. He drives. An he actual did not. DeLorean. He yes. did. And, and, and I read that he actually has a fully mocked up flux capacitor that's that behind is true. him in the seat. He brought it to Cincinnati when we had the one of the events for this. This is. We got Middletown, Ohio, to issue a proclamation making it James <laughs> Halliday Day. It's terrific. And the DeLorean, true to form broke down and spent about a week parked in front of our store. Uh, <laughs> and in True to Form, Ohio, it turns out that the head of DeLorean Owners International lives a couple miles from here of and helps him get it fixed. Of course he does. So he not only has a fully flex, full flex capacitor in there, the entire car is filled with stuff from the 80s. It's got a little mastermind game. It's got E.T. stuff figures. He had a professional props company make not one but two proton packs from the Ghostbusters that he keeps <laughs> in the trunk. And since then, he's also added the, what is it, Mr. Fusion or whatever yeah, they use Yeah, well, of course. That's oh, Back right, to the right, Future right, too. Right. Hello. So it's now, and the actual li- license plate, because he lives in Austin now, is a right. Texas license plate that says Active so, 88. <laughs> so let, let's, yeah. I, I, I liked this book for a, a couple of different reasons, and I, I want to get other opinions on this, but I liked the fact that it was a terrific adventure. I, mm-hmm. act, I mean, it wasn't anything that was groundbreaking. It kind of followed a fairly simplistic formula in terms of hero, friend, enemy, big bad, evil. I mean, I mean it, it wasn't exactly... It was super formula, I thought. Super formula. Cedric did not like the book as much as the rest of us. <laughs> That's true. I did. So uh, I'm, I'm, this, is why I'm, this is where I'm headed with this. Is okay. I liked the on. fact that it was... I liked the fact that it was formulaic. I actually did because it was an, a, an easy read. There were some, you know, obviously nods to cultural touchstones for me growing up that were fun, that made me laugh that I geeked out on a little bit. Um, but, and it was an easy read. I mean, I read it on a plane ride uh, a pl- uh, there and back on a, on a business trip that I was on. And I appreciated that. It was a, I soaked it right up. I had a good time reading it. And sometimes you need a book like that. I recognize that's probably not for everybody. You know, I mean, I wanted to criti- criticize it for maybe being a little flat. The characters aren't that protect- particularly deeply drawn or anything like that. There's nothing wrong with that. This book is pure entertainment. You know, I think it yeah. does raise some important questions at the same time if you want to go there, which you don't have to. Right. Um, so it's I, it reads like a love letter, too. Yeah, I it mean, really look, if does. you want to talk about the, f- like the, the it, impact the of the virtual world on how we live, I mean, I there's actually prefer... There. The darkness is there. It's some John's of it's there, right, right. But, but if that's like where you're really going to get where you what you're really looking for i mean frankly i think dave egger's book the circle is a better book for that i mean it's a more uh realistic look at what happens when everything is shared online and when your whole 
your whole person, not everyone liked that book, but you, you, your whole personality is on it. This was just more of an adventure with a nod to that sort of. Well, and the book itself is very much in the vein of some of these younger, uh, like what you said, it's an adventure story with a fairly young protagonist, uh, sort of homage right. to Ender's Game or you know, some of the really Arthur C. Clarke are different people that, again, this book is surrounded by an incredibly dense network of things that were important to the author right. coming out. So right. now and, I, and I'm going to help Cedric understand that. That'd be like Ishmael. I'm trying to take it up a next yeah, level. Thank you, John. Thank you for, thank you for trying to com <laughs> compete with his earlier reference to whatever book that was. Yeah. No, it's Neuromancer by William Gibson. So <laughs> yeah, the... Uh, he, I mean, he, refer he references everything in this book, and then we live in this world that is this web of references, and that's w one of the great pleasures of it. I still want to be a pain in the keister and ask you guys a serious question sure. about it, though. Okay, I don't. So this is, in some in some senses, this is about the dark side of a virtual of virtual realities. You guys have kids. Um, we have did created. Did, did any breeders? Did breeders. <laughs> I mean, how do you feel about? Um, this total immersion in video games and what it's doing, creating antisocial or contributing to the antisocial nature of our young people. Did this book speak to you on that level at all? I mean, did you want him to turn off the Oasis at the end, possibly, that he has that option? I, I kind of did. I thought, um, I mean, there were benefits to it. I liked the fact that you could see the world, but it, he never really truly dealt with two things in the book is one was how how the world he didn't get too much into the how the world got to where it was in 2044 where it was this, where people were living right. in RVs stacked on each other right. i don't know if he's setting himself up for kind of a you know like a prequel to the to the book which might be interesting i mean that how did the world get to that would be kind of an interesting i, I fully expected armada to be you know the next so armada his it. next book which also I, from what i've read about it is a um, chock full of like gamer sort of references as yeah, well. Yeah, it's that uh, just having hosted an event with him for this book, that is a reference to things like The Last Starfighter, Iron Eagle, again, some different movies that... Is, do you think this is going to work for him? I mean, is this like a whole... I mean, I'm, there's obviously a market for that, but is it, can, you, can you build a, a book career on, on this alone? No. You can't build any career but he, based but on one. I mean, I feel no, like you can. I feel like you this was a runaway. You can hit. make a career that turns into three movies. That that's, that's true. You don't no, have I mean, this book was and this book was magic. It was like he captured lightning in a bottle here right. with this book. Yeah, he's got. I don't know if you can redo. It. Yeah. So he's gonna he's gonna have to. All right, back to my original question though. Yeah. So you know, your kids, I, uh, virtual realities. I was more worried. Y yes and no. I'm not worried about kids because kids are just such social animals. They're they are. They, I've got three teenagers and someone younger than that. But they're like always on top of each other. I'm more worried about adults. I mean, this stuff about the, I, 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 there are so many people I know who much increasing percentages of their lives are, are social lives are online. It scares me. I hate it. I'm a, I need to be with humans. Like when she said, when Artemis was talking to 
Wade. So now I'm using one real name and one gamer name. And then and Artemis is the uh, the romantic interest. The romantic the interest, who's she's the Hermione of this book, right? Who's yeah, who's exactly. better, better, yeah, at right. most things. Better um, at everything. Higher yeah, level, uh, right? Gunter, yeah, exactly. And he said, "I love you." Like, out of left field. You're like such a dork. He like met her for the first time, even virtually, they were in the same room. The first virtual meeting. That's how, like, in a chat room, and he said, I love you. And she said, you don't live in the real world, Z. From what you've told me, you never have. I thought it was like, to, like, I stopped there. I thought that was her really saying, hey, hold on a second, world. This is really screwed up. This young guy yeah. uh, who's 18, and, you know, I think of 2045, and I think everyone's going to be everywhere. It's this, like, really small line in the book, but he's leaving Oklahoma City, and he's on his way. And he said, this is the first time I'd ever been out of Oklahoma City. And, like, in the f I think of a future where we're, like, you know, flying around at the, you know, with jetpacks. Yeah, where are jetpacks? And, and <laughs> he's no leaving jet Oklahoma City in what is essentially a large trailer park yeah. for the first time in his life. And I, I, I think it is kind of cautionary. No, I agree. I, I would agree with that. And I think that the, the thing uh, again, is that my and my daughter is six, so it's a little bit different. Right. Uh, but as people right now, especially as a bookseller, we've sort of had multiple lives at this point because okay, there were bookstores. And then the chains were going to kill us, and then online was going to kill us, and then ebooks were going to kill us, and we're still thriving because, like the mercantile, and like you said in the introduction, there's still a real value uh, and a need for these third places. You know, it's not work, right. it's not home. It's places where ideas are, are shared, and so I think that that is for kids. Kids especially are finding those those things, and I think largely are saying, you know, that's not as interesting as real experience. I think John's right. As adults, though, that have come up through certain things, all of these things, you don't see kids so much having huge, they're connected to it, but having issues with phone addiction, internet addiction, et cetera. It's the people who it's new for. You don't see kids having that? No, I, I think that, that kids have, have issues with it, but it's almost like an arm to them. Right. Yeah. It's a means to an end, I, whereas I adults... I think it's, it's the bigger... It's not so much just being... You know, the other, the other book I would think about that does a really good job at looking at kind of a, a world in which you're tethered to your phone and your everything is online is Super Sad True Love Story by oh, Gary Stengert. Yeah. yeah, it's a great book, and, and, and the main character in that book is... Uh, is wedded to books and he loves you know he loves his bookshelves in his house he's kind of old-fashioned I, I thought that was a terrific look and it was more nuanced to look at people who live in the real world or in the virtual world and they you know they go to a bar and because they're wearing their glasses or they have their you know mobile messaging unit on in their hand they can see the profiles of everybody above the heads of the people that they see in the bar <laughs> and then they know how to associate with different people in the bar that to me is the more cautionary tale about living in the kind of the virtual world where you almost instantly know too much about a person and then that, you know, guides you towards how you build relationships well, with And others. I think that one of the saddest things for me reading this book, too, is the fact that all of these people, so at the end, spoiler alert, 
uh, there's an epic battle between the corporation and Wade and his awesome. ragtag army right. of gunters. Right. And it's awesome because it brings in every big monster, man in suit type of thing together. And Wade wins. He wins the prize and gets control of the Oasis. Now, that being said, um, I think the sad thing is that where we end up is so Wade, I- admittingly, he's rich, he's famous. He, he gets the girl. He gets the girl. But at the same time, his entire life and the lives of all these people have been spent deep diving into a culture that's not their own. So at the end of this, yes, they're rich and whatever, but they have are, are solely versed in 80s culture and now have the power to affect the actual world. There's an there's an interesting conversation at when Artemis and, and Wade first meet each other on the hunt, where they sort of talk about what they would do if they win at the right. very beginning of it. And Wade's like, "I'm gonna build a space ark and go off and and, and play she's games like, forever." Right, play games forever. And she, she's like, she's "Everybody's a little, she's starving. A little more interested Why in aren't you going to yeah. help people here?" And he's like, "Feed uh, the needy." Yeah, and he the whole time he's like, "Don't." don't <laughs> you know, don't appear superficial. Don't appear superficial. Don't appear superficial. <laughs> and so I think that at the end of this, it's almost <laughs> like, all right, well, you delve down, dove down this thing, and essentially everything after that you are clueless about, but now you have all the power. So there's an inch, there's a lot of sort of open threads. I think that this book, it, for as much as it, it pulls a little bit from like a Dickens architecture where everything is tied up at the end. Like everybody meets, everybody's connected. There's still a lot of questions to it around the technology, the social aspect, et cetera. There's a lot there. Yeah. The front cover of the The book has the line. I was, I was pissed off when I was reading this because I kept thinking about, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Willy Wonka. And then I looked on the cover and I thought, well, maybe I saw this subliminally because the cover blurb, one of the blurbs is Willy Wonka meets the Matrix. But there's an obvious nod to Willy Wonka here as well. And the golden ticket. He gets the golden ticket. It's about a hunt to, you know, essentially, you know, earn earn the the Chocolate Factory. And his name is Wade Watts. I mean, there's there's an obvious... Well, that's where the book... You know, honestly, that's what Ernest has said. He said... When he was thinking of ideas, he came up with the idea of what if Willy Wonka was a game designer. Right, right. I mean, you're reading the first few oh. chapters of the book, and they set up the, the, you know, the challenge to find the egg, and it's, I mean, it is the gold, straight golden ticket. But that's what made it fun for me, and that's, I mean, that was, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was like, a t- I mean, that book, right. more than anything growing up, was probably a touchstone book for me. Now, when I read a book, I need it to either have a good story or well-written. Ideally, both, which is... A, hard combination I thought this was a better story than written yeah that was that's my central criticism of the book the quality of the writing it's a first novel yeah and there is that kind of thing like a little bit of uh, you know some of the criticism of the Da Vinci Code not to really um, compare the two but what Dan Brown does in that book is he he describes his main character of Robert Langdon as being Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones. And that's a little bit, like, in that sense, you're like, come on, that is really, like, it's a cheap way to do it. In this book, 
he throws, and that was one of the questions I had too when I first started reading was, he packs so much other <laughs> cultural references in there, I begin to wonder, you know, how much is him and how much is everything else. But there's, there's a thousand of them. So it's almost that's what it is. Yeah, right. um, and it is, you're, you're right, it is, a, it is a, the story and the concept are uh, better than the writing, but it's a first novel. And yeah, so and the writing wasn't thing. bad at, on, on by any, yeah, I mean, there's sure. bad writing, and this mm-hmm. is certainly not bad writing. And as for the formulaic, I needed it because I am not a gamer. I don't know anything about that. Yeah, I don't know those people to the extent that I do know them. I don't like them. So all these references lost me a lot. So I was glad that the chapters were short and that I was like, okay, this, this formulized novel is kind of leads me down the path. So if I'm kind of getting a little foggy here, I can keep going because... I know where to take the next yeah, step. Yeah, I never played the Atari games. I never. You never I, played I, the Atari. Okay. No, I do. I do play video games. I am, um, but I never. I haven't played a video. I don't. I'm trying to think of last. See, I, I did have a Commodore as a kid. Um, I, I did Nintendo. have an original Nintendo, but I never had the Atari. A lot of that stuff, I was. I was never really that into like war. War games, I saw, but that did you was play, not. Did a anyone game. here play Dungeons and Dragons? No. See, See every once in a great while, but Cedric. not really. I mean, but for me, Cedric Dungeon- clearly did. Cedric, Cedric has, oh some, my God, Cedric has something to say. We can't Cedric, see it. Cedric, would you jump no, no. in for a minute? Cedric. <laughs> you know, I He's just, too I busy reading the grapes There were wrath. so many references, and so many of them worked so well, but occasionally I groaned and heard the voice of the comic book guy on The Simpsons. That's... Like in the back of my mind, what, how do, I don't even know what he says, but I just I saw the comic book guy from The Simpsons, and literally I feel like sometimes I was I thought this was like Fifty Shades of Geek or something like that. It was like <laughs> porn for nerds. It is nerd, nerd porn, certainly. Yeah, I mean I think that there's enough of that, but that's what the kind of the point though is is too is that if you look at it even now with I think probably we're at a point in popular culture where being a nerd is such a an accepted thing right now. There's never right. been a even better there's time. Never been, the worst, there's the never been a better time. It's the golden age for dorks. No, I mean you can you sense. can walk into Jeff Ruby's <laughs> bar with a arc, like a Star Wars T-shirt on and you're cool. I mean that's but that, it's a even good time to for an, that. Even to an, uh, to to that extent that there is a wide acceptance of it. The largely people who are supremely interested in that, um, these are only people that are that are are, are famous or whatever. Uh, they are only the very periphery of it. There's still a very large amount of people who have a handful of friends or two friends. They're super nerdy. They're outcasts. They're never going to date in high school. That right. has not changed, regardless of how much uh, <laughs> popular culture has co-opted Star Wars or Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. And so I think largely this book speaks to the fact that you, when you play these games or these movies or whatever, the primary uh, point of any of it is the outsider, the, the outsider making good and becoming 
and basically winning. Right. Be it Star Wars and Luke Skywalker yeah. or anything it's, else. It's, sure. it's, it gets it's better for dorks. Exactly. It that's exactly <laughs> it. And that's what this book, that's what this book, it pulls together all those things that says it's okay and it it's, does get it's better. You need to stop and reflect on that line. No. It's gets, it, it, is, it gets better for dorks. No, that's exactly I think that that's. I think that that's really, really correct. And that's what this book champions. This is the ultimate reflection of all of Dork those culture. different movies, songs, games, etc. that says you are not alone and then say, turns it up to 11. Yeah. It, all right, we have like three or four more minutes. Cedric, say something smart <laughs> about this book. <sighs> no pressure or anything, John. Um, I felt like this, there was just so much to learn from this book, whether, whether you were taking away sort of this glimpse um, of our culture as it is teetering on the brink. We, we were some of the, one of the last generations that will know what the world was like before everybody had a smartphone glued to the side of their yeah. face. And there's something to think about there. That said, this book is pure entertainment. There's, yeah. you don't, it's just entertainment, and it was a lot of fun to read. Honestly, I mean, even though I had comic book guy like sniping in the back of my head, I'll, I'll probably pick up another Ernest Klein book. Come on, um, you're a drummer, and this book is super filled with Rush. I right. mean, That's you, true. Don't, you don't <laughs> and, need to hide is God. Neil Peart is God. Don't hide in You don't Simpson have to hide it from the rest of <laughs> us. Like, it's cool, It's not man. a secret, Cedric Rose. The yeah. band is king. Just love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Put it out there, Cedric. Right. Uh, I, I Brendan, what did you think of the book? I would say I highly recommend it. This is a classic example of a book for me where I resisted reading it for a long time because I would read blurbs about it, and it was about video games and about gamer culture, and I thought, ah, I'm not going to like this. And what it most reminded me of was back when I was in high school, the movie Sneakers. So if you uh, remember that movie with Robert Redford and Dan Aykroyd and Sidney Poitier, it's a terrific movie. But I resisted that for a long time and just had so much fun watching it. There's a lot to compare between the book and that movie, um, kind of geek technolo technology. There's even a reference, I think, in the book to it. Um, but it's one of those ones where, one of those books where sometimes you have to suspend your own prejudices against the kinds of book you like, books you like to read and just pick up something that's a beautiful radically lesson. different. That's, yeah, that's, that's really can you say that again when you're looking directly into Cedric's eyes? <laughs> 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 Michael, who buys this book? I, wait, I always look directly into <laughs> um, Who buys this book? Surprisingly, everyone. I will say, just as a bookseller, just purely from my own experience with it, that it is a largely male demographic. Now to say no. that to say but to say that at er, at Ernie's events it is solidly 50-50 and there are a, there is a very large population of Hold on you're telling me that the guys who read this book have girlfriends? No. <laughs> no, no, no awesome. That. What I am saying somewhat. What okay. I'm saying is that there is an equal number of and a growing number, maybe not equal of uh, women gamers and yes. women fantasy sci-fi readers. It has become a much less uh, male-dominated field of interest. Uh, so yeah. really everybody, and I was surprised, as I mentioned earlier, that it's not just people between you know their late 30s yeah. and, and, and 50s because kids are connecting to the journey. They're connecting to the isolation or, or different elements yeah. of the book and really, really enjoying it. Um, 
and honestly, there's a ton of Lady Hawk references in it. So I'm gonna great. I'm there's gonna a couple be, good female go characters. I mean, Artemis is a right. fun every, every single John, time. your first podcast, the first book for your first podcast. Final thoughts. I never would have read this book. Cedric put it on my desk and said, "You're, this is what we're doing. So you have to read it." And I'm glad he did. Book available. We're glad at the you did book available at the Mercantile Library. Come and check it out. At, at uh, and at Joseph yeah. Beth and Booksellers, if you're so inclined. Yeah, and now bring this ship in. And in our online collection. So. So I guess you, that's you all. Enjoy such things. I think that's all the time we have today. Uh, thanks, gentlemen, for the conversation. Um, thank you for listening. Twelfth Story Podcast is produced and directed by Gabby Blocher, Brandon Cole, Chris Messick, and Cedric Rose. Our theme music was created by Doug McDermott. Special thanks to the Mercantile Library and the On Parsons Project. <laughs> 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 Good.